This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Hey, welcome back. This is a conversation I've been having with my friend Katie Cole for the last several weeks. Katie is an expert on church leadership, especially multi-site churches. She's currently serving with Leadership Network, and we're talking about multi-site church for the rest of us. The fact that we want all of our listeners who are open or thinking or inclined to go towards a multi-site direction, we want to tell you how you can probably get involved in this movement. Today, we're going to continue the conversation we started last week about the multi-site movement. We're going to continue to talk about what it might look like for your church to do it. So, Katie, you travel all over the country. You see a lot of different churches in a lot of different multi-site models, and you work with people across the spectrum who are doing things different ways. Their theology is a little bit different. Their regions different, the size cities, the size churches, but you see it all. What building blocks need to be in place for a church to go multi-site? Yeah, it's a great question. I think when I look at churches and talk with them about their multi-site strategy or what they're looking for, there's eight things that I'm always trying to make sure have been talked about or are in place as people get going. The first one is a really compelling vision. And I know that seems sort of obvious, but it's amazing how many churches still kind of fall into that opportunity to use multi-site as vision rather than strategy. And so there has to be a bigger vision. What are we about as a church? And then how does going multi-site help us get there? The other piece is that we're asking people to give up something to go multi-site. I'm giving up money. I'm giving up my own campus. I'm giving up the convenience of having my senior pastor be there when I want him to be. All of these things. And so the vision has to be bigger than sort of the fear of what I might be losing. So more than piling on the trend. Yes, exactly. It has to be because God called you. And I need, as a congregation member, I need my leader to help connect the dots of why this is going to help us fulfill what God called us to. The second one is a core team of leaders and doers. I think sometimes churches can think one or the other, but we really need both. If you send just a team of leaders to go start a church, you'll have a lot of great vision and maybe whiteboard strategies, but not many people who want to, you know, fold chairs and clean up gum, you know, after services in the school you're renting. But you also need a lot of doers because a lot of doers will kind of stand there and they'll empty boxes, but they're missing the big picture or they don't know how to kind of rally the environment or something like that. You need a combination, a full developed team of both leaders and doers. The third thing is the location. And for me, this is, although the facility is important, it's really more about the people group than it is the actual building facility. Because I think we're really called to people. We're not called to open facilities or what's rentable. Sometimes that's a barrier that we have to cross or the Lord might use that to guide us in a certain place. But Mm -hmm. when we feel called to a people and identifying that and knowing who that is, that really has to be a building block of it. You're saying we got to find a location that actually facilitates us reaching the people we say we're trying to reach. That's exactly right. Again, it has to go back to vision. Why do these people matter to God? Why has He assigned them to us? And if that's in place, then the facility will make it work in a lot of Mm -hmm. different ways. The fourth is a launch strategy. So again, it's a building block because how you get to a full campus becomes a really important piece of what you do before launch and what you do after launch. There's sort of the traditional launch 
stretch where you start with a big weekend right. service and there's preview services and you're rallying everybody. And yes, you have to kind of get people to commit to a year, all that kind right. of stuff. That's definitely one approach. I think especially in more of the Church for the Rest of Us concept, a reverse engineering launch is a really valid option that's becoming much more popular. It's a lot less risky. It takes less startup finances and there's a better chance of survival long term. So rather than starting with a big weekend and then trying to add small groups and add membership classes and make the youth group strong mm-hmm. and do serve for the city things, you start with those things. You start with serving the city and do once a month things right. for a few months. And then from that, form groups. And then from that, do socials and then do membership and then add a youth group. And so once you do the weekend service, it's like the cherry on top right. rather than trying to start with that. So, but you have to make the decision. Which yeah, one are and you? I really like that because especially if you're a smaller church or you're a church that may not have you may not be able to put a half a million dollars together to make all this work and buy all the equipment and buy a truck. And re- that lets a church of any size in any kind of community start with a very low cost entry, right? And then if it doesn't work out, you haven't right. lost your shirt. Well, and you can do a variety of areas at one time and yeah. you can see, you can do that principle from the experiencing God study, you know, yeah. go where God is working. Look so for if the breakthrough. Yeah. If you do six different local communities around you and you just kind of start some serving mm-hmm. projects and two of them end up tripling in size in the first three months, you know those are good leading indicators that God has something going there. Love it. Join Him in it. The fifth one is a campus pastor. That role is the kind of the number one make or break in multi-site, having that person established, knowing you can trust them. They know the DNA. They have the heartbeat of the senior pastor. They care for people. Uh, they need to be called and passionate about it. I mm-hmm. think I see several churches now where their strategies sort of outpacing their leadership pipelines. And so they're putting people in campus pastor roles that maybe don't really want to go. I really love doing that role. And now you're sending me. I guess I'll suck it up and get there. Well, that never really pans out. (laughs) And startup is hard. You have to be like Uh. all in and want to be there. And so I just really think that campus pastor role is a key building block. It's sort of a gateway decision uh, before moving forward. And even defining what that is, because different models require different kinds of leaders for that role, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The kind of multi-site church you are, the kind of leadership structure you have, the kind of culture you have, how much independence you want from them, how much alignment you want, all that's got to play into sort of their leadership instincts. And if you have misalignment, it's just going to be challenges at the campus. Yeah. And I just want to, just for one second, just stick on that for a second, because I think that's so vital because some people do, like the way we do it at Family Church, we have live preaching. So your, your campus pastor in general, has to be able to preach and want to preach and do it well. And then other places, it's a video venue, so he has to have kind of a different skill set and a different bent. And then some places, you know, it's bigger, it's a small. I mean, so there's just different kind of leaders. And and I know like friends of mine, they have multi-site, but their campus pastors literally operate completely independently. They preach their own series. They come up with all their own stuff. They have to get all their own initiatives. And then others, it's Chick-fil-A. I mean, you make the sandwich this way, you put the two pickles on it, you put it in the little bag and you fold it like that. So determining what you're doing with this role is pretty important too, it's no matter what important. size you are. Absolutely. And the great thing about multi-site is there are so many options. There's many options as there are churches. And so there's no one size fits all. There's no right. best box to be in. What's the best is to find the thing that you're called to do and then empower your people to fully do it. But you have to do the front end work. That's why it's a building block. It's mm-hmm. It sets the foundation having those conversations, figuring out those things ahead of time, clarifying it so that you can really empower people fully. Mm-hmm. That gives you the the strongest, cleanest runway to launch a campus well. Yep. 
All right. The sixth one is funding. That's the reality of the campus. Every campus is going to have some sort of budget. And so the funding has to be in place for that to really go forward. And that dictates a lot, unfortunately, but that's the reality of how it works. But the seventh one is to define the win. And this is one that I think is a little underdeveloped for churches because the visionary senior, usually the senior pastor has a big vision for it. He only sees the win and it looks right. huge and awesome and super exciting and is going to be, you know, amazing, whatever that looks like in his context. But really defining the win for everybody else. Is the win a certain number of attendance? Is the win a number of baptisms and conversions? Is the win a sense of community? Is the win that we partnered with someone? Is the win that we served the city? Is the win that we extended our brand? There's a whole bunch of ways that we could have a win. I feel like that's important because sometimes when a campus gets into launch six months or 12 months or even a year or two, and it's not meeting expectations, there's a whole debate about what are actually the expectations. I thought if they had 10 groups, that would be fine. We expected 100 groups. Like, if we don't have clarity on what the win is, it's really easy to feel like it's we're losing when you might actually be winning in terms of kingdom. That's such a great point. Katie, I think when I'm looking at what churches tend to do that I'm involved with, all of them know you have to have three of those things. So everybody has to have a campus pastor, everybody has to have a location, everybody has to have funding. But the other things that you said on that list are so vital, especially, and it really all flows from your idea of the compelling vision. There's got to be a reason why we're doing this other than, you know, we're not just climbing the mountain because it was there. We've got to be doing this for a reason. It's got to be serving the kingdom and serving our part of the Great Commission. All right. So if you're going to go multi-site, here's the things you said you've got to do. Kind of related to that, though, what are some of the barriers to like, why should some churches not get into this or why don't they get into it? Or why should they get into it? What are some of the kind of immediate hurdles you have to think of to get into doing this? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I don't know that there are really barriers okay. because I feel like the options are wide open for churches. I see churches as small as 75 to 100 people launching campuses now. I see churches, you know, most churches, the bigger you are, the more likely you are to be multi-site, but that's certainly not the primary people launching campuses mm -hmm. or at least the number of campuses. In fact, I think it's 47% of campuses wow. right now are in rural settings. So they're small campuses. So I think the old mentality or what we assumed or maybe the people who have been doing multi multi-site for 15 years, those kind of bigger mega multi-site churches, just because they're doing that doesn't mean that that's what multi-site looks moving forward. So the sky is the limit in terms of options. I think that the things that might hold us back is if we're not really committed to the long term, okay. if we sort of start and stop, start and stop, that right. can really hold back a multi-site vision. And there's several churches I'm working with now who have launched a campus and they're trying to figure out if they should close it or they launched one and had to close it, but they still want to be multi-site. So now they're also overcoming fear and a failure and buy-in from their leaders because we already tried this and it didn't work. So those sorts of things, I think, can hold back momentum if we haven't thought through all those building blocks fully and really committed to the long term of multi-site. I think that's a great point because um, we've talked about this before. You and I both agree we're kind of at the end of the beginning of the multi-site movement. You know, we're already seeing some people exit the field. Some people who are early adopters who've actually done it really successfully, some of the larger multi-site movements in different styles have kind of said, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to make these all independent churches or we're going to close or whatever. And so I think for our listeners who are thinking about getting into this, who have just gotten into this, or listeners who are thinking about closing your churches or thinking about starting one, I hope you're really listening to what Katie's saying because 
this whole idea, it's not too late for you to cast a compelling vision, even if you're in the middle of it. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. And vision is something we have to recast and sort of re-articulate over and over again so people see it in a different dimension and it's more clear and they're more connected to it. All right. So you said a minute ago that you said you actually knew of churches 75 to 100 that are going multi-site. Could you talk a little bit about what does it look like when a church of, say, less than 500 does multi-site? Because you and I both like family church, we're quite a bit larger than that. Uh, you've been on staff at some really large, super mega churches that were way larger than that. What does it look like when a smaller church does multi-site? Yeah, I think, well, the first thing I want to tell you about, we just did a study in, at Leadership Network on multi-site. And one of the things we found is that when we asked churches, what do you feel like the ideal site is, or the ideal size you should be to launch a site, the number is always higher than what they were when they launched. Yeah. So if you <laughs> launched and you had 100 right? people, you know, you really recommend having at least, you know, 160 or 175 right. or whatever the number is. And if right. you were at 1,000, you should really have 1,200 before you launch. So, you know, hindsight, there's a little bit of pain, I think, that everyone feels when you send whatever 10 or 20% of your congregation away, you feel that. And it, man, it would have been nice to just recoup those people faster. That So I think it's kind of like new mom parents. And dad, mom and dad, how old were you when you got married? <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or you're never ready to have your first kid. You know, right, if you never. wait till you're ready, you're never ready. So right. I think that's the first thing I would say. But trying to just make sure that what you have is worth replicating. That's mm. my question always, wow. is that if you aren't, it's not even necessarily about numerical growth, because a lot of multi-site churches are multiplying because their towns are population stunted, or they're going backwards, the economy has shifted. So they know they're still called to that people, but they're sending folks maybe even because of a business is moving, and they've got a core group of leaders that are all moving, being transferred to a different location. What a great opportunity to do a multi-site, because you're sending a portion of your church there, or they're in areas like in rural America where there are townships. And so every town is only so big. You can only grow so fast and so big because of the population density, but you can stretch to other townships. So it's not even about numerical growth demands that you grow or multiply in that way, but there's something worth multiplying. One of the indicators that I think we've even mentioned before is that if people are sort of hungry for it that aren't close by and they can't quite take advantage of all of that you have to offer, that's a great indicator to sort of bring church to them. Yeah. I hope our listeners really heard the first thing you said and kind of that answer is what you have worth replicating. Because I talked to some pastors, Katie, who say, hey, the church that I'm the pastor of really stinks. And so I want to go start a multi-site so that we can have a better church. I do understand that. And I do believe, I agree that uh, multi-site churches for traditional churches, multi-site can help you accelerate change in your original campus. But I agree with you, if your culture is not worth replicating, you have a sick church, that's not the ideal time to birth a baby. I mean, you got to find a way to make what you have worth replicating. And I think answering that question is really important. Yes. And it's a difficult question to face. <laughs> it's right. it's not easy to go, man, everyone else is doing all this cool stuff. And if we could just do this cool stuff, we would be awesome also. It takes a very courageous and confident and secure leader to mm-hmm. be able to look at the reality because most leaders live in the future. They live on what could be. They right. don't live in what is or what has been. And so to really give a great self-assessment, even talk to the people, maybe not even the leaders of your church, but the congregation members or people who have been around for a while or the community and get a real pulse for how are we actually doing? What are people's actual buy-in? What does the community really think of us? And really do that those tough self-awareness, courageous conversations 
can tell you a lot, first about, about what you need to fix, but then secondly, what you can do and when you'll know you're ready to be able to launch. All right. So two final questions. One, when you look at multi-site pastors and multi-site organizations that end up failing at it, they haven't done well. Why? Well, I think that's the first part is they have unrealistic expectations about how awesome they are. And then (laughs) the second thing is... We pastors are often guilty of that, I have to admit. Well, I just, I get it because they see the potential and the potential is amazing. You walk in, when I get to visit churches, I walk into any church and it really doesn't matter the status. You know, God could do so many amazing Mm -hmm. things here. Even the biggest train wreck, there is potential, yeah. and live, leaders live in the potential. But strategy comes from reality, mm-hmm. and so that's why this is a strategy conversation, not a vision conversation. So that's the first one, and then the second one is they haven't quite, as an organization, figured out how to do a strategy or initiatives that cross department. Okay. In one site, you can do initiatives by silos. Right. And the senior pastor says, I want to have a new discipleship, whatever. And so the person in charge of discipleship gets their discipleship people together. They may have to talk to the finance guy, but they probably need the senior pastor to even get the funding. Right. And they make it happen with that team. And it's awesome. And the church rallies and the senior pastor thinks our discipleship is awesome. When you go multi-site and you say, I really want to see discipleship happen, all of a sudden now it impacts every single other department. And you have to cross silos. That's why eventually people have to move to a matrix model because the matrix model supports cross-functional teams and cross-functional decisions. But if you're operating too siloed, um, multi-site will break the silos with nothing to replace it with. All and right. so that's where the cost of going multi-site tar- starts to begin to be too big is because now I say as a senior pastor, let's do an awesome discipleship thing. And everyone on the staff looks at me and says, that's not possible. Right, We're in two right. sites. And he's thinking, but discipleship's what we do. What are you talking right, about? Right. And they And it's legit. I've been a part of that kind of time where your whole department is like, we're just trying to figure out how to get the programs delivered to the right people with the right information. There's Mm -hmm. no way a church-wide small group campaign is happening next month. Great idea, but next year might happen. So those are the two biggest things that I think kind of cause failure, as well as, you know, all the inbreeding or if you don't transfer your DNA, but people talk about those things a lot. Well, the other thing, Katie, I think just to add on to that, like it's to go from one site to two sites is really relatively easy because it's it's just like starting another service. You know, when you only have you have a service here and you have a service there and I have two services. But when you start doing three or four or more where you actually can't have a single person ever having their eyes on every site every week, then it just creates all kinds of problems. And so I couldn't agree with you more on that. All right. Last thing, what are some of the things about successful multi-site churches of any size? And you just go, this is what those churches have in common. I would say the first one is that they focus on people over logistics. Okay. And so I think sometimes in multi-site, especially on the staff team, there's so many logistics that get involved that we tend to hyper-focus on them and forget that we build church for people Mm -hmm. to come. And on Sunday morning, especially in some setup teardown experiences, you're just, I mean, you're literally sweating 10 minutes before people get there and you're trying to change clothes and freshen up and then go out and greet people and switching gears, that ability to switch gears or having people who are fresh and ready just to 
to be with people. Mm -hmm. That is a really important element. I think making sure you're not copying other people, but really clarifying your unique vision. I can sometimes walk into a church and I know where they got that (laughs) phrase and that program and that like magnet for their fridge. And, you know, and I'm just like, oh gosh, there's probably something with more momentum that God is wanting to do here, but it's cluttered by this buffet of other people's stuff. So just knowing your unique vision, I'm a huge piece person of not reinventing the wheel. So I think we should utilize other people's things, but as long as it's fitting into where God is calling us to, and we're not just thinking that's the magic bullet that's going to help our church. And I think that's so great because one of the things we like to say around here is that systems are really, really important, but our church systems work for us. We don't work for the systems. So the systems have to be doing what we want them to do with the people that we're trying to reach. And if they're not, we don't, We can't be ruled by the rules of our system. We have to be ruled by our mission and our vision and the people that Christ has called us to serve. The last one, I think, is that uh, great multi-site churches, no matter how long they've been doing it or what scale or size they're doing it at, they never lose that lean startup mentality. Mm. And so all organizations, there's organizational life cycle and any new startup has kind of this scrappy, resourceful, kind of innovative change on a dime, experiment and not be afraid to fail. There's sort of that entrepreneurial spirit. I think those multi-site churches who keep that tend to do better because people love to be a part of something new and leaders want to be a part of figuring out solutions. And if we get too stale and this is what we do and how we do it, even if we're systematizing and standardizing some things, there's still got to be that space of agility and innovation and experimenting, measuring only the thing that matters and not getting bogged down with reports and and turning things in and administrating people to death. It's got to be fun and alive and moving forward. Yeah. Katie, I could go on all day talking with you about this, but I think we've given people on this podcast a lot of food for thought. I'm very grateful you're willing to share this time with us. Let me just say a couple of things about Katie. One, she has a book coming out next year on women in leadership about how to help women in our churches actually take advantage of their gifts, deploy their gifts, develop their gifts in churches for the betterment of the kingdom of Jesus and to advance the mission of their churches. And I would love for you to consider participating in some of her research for that book at katiecole.com, K-A-D-I-C-O-L-E.com. She says a survey Women in your churches, either on your teams, volunteers, any leaders in your churches could go on there, take the survey. It would help Katie as she does research for this important book. Also, Katie consults with churches. She does coaching and consulting. She does that for us at Family Church, and we're very grateful. We're better off, Katie, for your coaching and your help with what we do. And so any of our listeners who would like that kind of coaching, that kind of resourcing, you could engage Katie to do that for you. Again, you can reach her at katiecole.com, K-A-D-I-C-O-L-E.com. We would love to hear from you, our listeners. We want to learn from you. We want to hear what you're doing. If you're doing some innovative things, if you're a small church or a medium-sized church or a large church, you're doing something with multi-site, we want to know what you're doing. Please contact us. Get in touch with us at our website, familychurchnetwork.com. And all of this information, including Katie's contact info, will be in our show notes. Thanks for listening today at Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, 
This is Jimmy Scroggins, and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.